0: Let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer, and we're going to get started. Father, we are so thankful for your presence this morning. We thank you, Lord, where we can sit quietly now and hear you speak to us through the power of the Spirit. We thank you for the teaching power that you give to us. Lord, and as we listen to your word and hear what your word is saying, Lord, impart that wisdom to us for application in our lives. Just because we're talking about subjects and people that lived 1,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, whatever the time was, it doesn't matter. Lord, you want to speak to us about today and how we apply that information for us today. Lord, we are going through our own journeys with you. We're coming from different places. We're coming from different areas of life. Some of those areas have been very good, some not so good. But, Lord, we are all the same before you because we recognize, Lord, all have sinned and fall short of your glory. And, Lord, we need you, a relationship with you that makes us righteous in your eyes. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you now for this time, prayerfully of teaching and instruction. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at the lives of some of the great men and women in Scripture, other than Jesus Christ, just as an example, we think of people like Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, David. We read the accounts of these men and think that these people were perhaps exceptionally empowered almost like the superheroes that we read about in the comics or see on the big screen. Now, before we get carried away with this, because you mentioned superheroes, you know, superheroes are not real. Amen? Now, you cannot say this out loud at Comic-Con, because you'll cause a rumble at Comic-Con if you talk about superheroes not being real. But we're not at Comic-Con. We're talking about real life here. But we need to even understand, even in the characterization of these superheroes, they have flaws as well. Superman is known as the Man of Steel, but he was supposedly weaker than you or me when he was exposed to kryptonite. Batman became the Cape Crusader when his mother and father were murdered in the streets of Gotham City. And he carried that with him for much of his adult life. Spider-Man does what a spider can, (laughs) but he was also largely shunned and ignored as a successful crime fighter. And some would even contend that Spider-Man had some emotional issues. You could argue that it was the human nature of these characters that make them even more endearing as crime fighters. These fictional characters are heroes, but all of them are flawed in some manner. They're not perfect. And neither were the so-called heroes of faith that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, we're not going to read all of Hebrews uh, 11. We're just going to touch on the point that we're going to be referring to there's different people involved that are mentioned in that scripture. And we'll cover some of those in the next few minutes. But go to Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2 just to set the stage for it. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. And this also sets the tone for today's message too. Verse 1, Faith Shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Now, the Bible does not refer to these people as heroes as we are prone to do. We've kind of given it that tagline that these are the heroes of faith that are being wrenched. The Bible doesn't really say heroes. But the Bible does refer to each of them as being righteous before God because of their examples of faith. Because of them, they're deemed righteous. So, were they really heroes? Well, you tell me. Abel was deemed righteous because God accepted and approved of his offerings. Even in his death, his faith showed leadership by example. Leadership by example. Enoch pleased God with his faith so much that he did not experience death. But now drop down to verse 6, if you're still in Hebrews 11. Paul follows with this passage after talking about Enoch. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11. And it is impossible to please God without faith. I mean, I could do a message alone just on that one sentence. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists. That's pretty important. And that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. So I hope you can see where we're going with this. Faith is a necessity in having a relationship with the Lord. And what did we say faith was earlier? Things you can't see. Things that you can't see. Abraham pleased God with his faith and believed God's promises to him. But he was far from perfect. There are examples in Scripture where he was impatient while waiting for God. And he was also fearful. Sarah had faith and bore Abraham a child when she was 90 years old, after being barren. But God had to challenge her when she lacked faith. These people and others are recorded as being accepted by God because of their faith and in spite of their human nature accepted by God because of their faith in spite of their human nature. How many of us have human nature? Amen. How come y'all didn't have put your hands up those that you didn't? Some of us did. I mean, how many of you have human nature? Amen? I, I know y'all wake. We all have human nature. But here's the encouraging message for all of us. In spite of of our human nature. We are accepted by God because of our faith. We're accepted by God because of our faith. We're far from perfect, but God accepts us and loves us in spite of who we are. And ladies and gentlemen, we know who we are. Amen? Amen? We know who we are. We know who He is. Amen? In our love for God, may we live in His Spirit and love others, love others in spite of their imperfections. Now we're taking a little bit step further. Because there's other folks around us who ain't perfect. Amen? Love them in spite of their imperfections. Love your brother Love your sister. Now that could mean in your family or in the bro- in the body of Christ. Love your brother. Love your sister. Love one another because you represent Jesus. You represent. Represent. Turn to first. That's right. Now see, you've heard this before. Represent. Turn to First John chapter four, verses nine through twelve. First John four we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. And this will be from the NIV version. First John, First John 4 verses 9 through 12. John is one of our my favorite personal disciples because all he does is talk about love. If you look at Scripture and really look at his letters, love is always at the forefront. He mentions faith too and all that. We just did a study this morning on Sunday School Extra, which was online. You can go back and look at it later on on Second John uh, verses one through thirteen. He talked about love throughout that passage and as well and talked about faith as well. But let's look at this passage, 1 John 4, verses 9 through 12. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And that means that requires faith. No one's ever seen God, so we believe that he is there because of faith. We believe he's here because of faith. So with this information about love and faith, we're going to use the balance of this message to explore the life of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the fourth ruler over the southern kingdom and son of Asa, the previous king. Now, the first account you would read about of Jehoshaphat in scripture is in 1 Kings fifteen twenty-four. It has a brief mention about him being the successor to Asa. And later on, you would see it also in 1 Kings 22, verses 1 through 50. But there's going to be a little bit more detail we're going to cover today in 2 Chronicles, chapter 17. Uh, Jehoshaphat ascended to the throne at age 35. He reigned for 25 years, a fairly long tenure. So let's take a closer look at this and reflect upon how King Jehoshaphat, as a man of faith, let's emphasize this, not only ruled with the intent of serving the Lord, but also did some additional things that other kings failed to do. He took a stand on the word of God. He shared the word of God. He received God's blessing because of his example of faith and obedience to God. Leadership. Jehoshaphat's people also received blessings because of his faithful leadership. Turn now to 2 Chronicles, please, chapter 17, if you haven't already turned there. 2 Chronicles 17, and let's look at verses 1 and 2 to start out. 2 Chronicles 17, verses 1 and 2. 2 Chronicles 17, verses 1 and 2. Everybody there? Let's start with verse 1. Jehoshaphat, his son, that's Asa's son, succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and put garrisons in Judah and in the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. So when we read in Chronicles and look at the account in Chronicles, that's 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, What we're reading is God's perspective of the leadership of the kings of that day. He's giving you an account based upon his perspective. So that's why you see some things mentioned in Chronicles. You may not be mentioned, they may not be mentioned in Kings. It doesn't really matter. There is some overlap in some cases, but I want you to be very focused about what was happening here. And what God is showing us here is that Jehoshaphat did what any good ruler would do. He built up the armies in the territory and established Judah as a fortified kingdom. Because back in that day, that just made sense. You want a place that is less prone to be invaded or captured by someone else. He was doing this because Israel at that time was an adversary to Judah. They weren't always working together. Now let's look at verses 3 and 4. Same area. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because He followed the ways of His father David before Him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of His father and followed His commands rather than the practices of Israel. Why is God mentioning about He didn't consult Baal? Because a lot of folks back then consulted Baal. They were following anybody but God. This was the regular practice. In Israel and in Judah. Anything other than following God, boy, they found a way to do it. But God is making it a point here to show us, sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Now you may have noticed in Scripture, this Scripture here referred to about, in the first section, it was referring to his father Asa, his natural father. But now in verse 3, he's talking about David who is mentioned in Jehoshaphat's lineage. And that's why it's being mentioned. But here's the thing that we want you to see from God's perspective. David's earlier years as king were arguably his most faithful and obedient years of service for God. So, being God's account here, and giving a record of the rulers in Israel and Judah, David is referenced as the standard... For all kings. He's the standard. He's being given as the best example of a king who truly was faithful to the Lord. And what he's saying is Jehoshaphat is right there. He's following that same standard of leadership. We don't want to get into how leaders sometimes don't follow any kind of standard or follow what they think is best. But at the end of the day, sometimes we learn best from those who did it right. Who are doing it right, who did it right, who keep doing it right. And in this case, he's saying David's early reign was the example to look at. Now David's total reign, we can talk about the latter part of that, wasn't so good. So we're giving focus to the part where he got it right. And it tells us how highly esteemed David was in God's eyes, to use this example. Now hold your finger in second Chronicles and go to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, verse 22. We want to let's emphasize how important that David did have as far as the impact that he had with the Lord, and how it is a good example to look at. Acts 13, verse 22. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Nobody likes to talk about transitions in government. But sometimes transitions are necessary. Because we have to get somebody out of the way who's not doing what's right. And in this particular case, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Is it really important for us to just do what we want to do or should we be doing, whether you're in leadership or otherwise, doing what God wants you to do? We're doing what God wants you to do. And you may not understand why you're doing it, but you know that God wants you to do it because it's good. It's not about trying to impress other people. It's about doing what God would have you to do. Because sometimes when you're doing what God wants you to do, you're not going to impress everybody. Amen? So if you're in this for a popularity contest, you might as well just step aside. This is very important as to how we as believers and followers of Jesus will be successful in our walk of faith. Jehoshaphat was being compared to King David, We are to emulate Christ in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Our faith is what pleases God. Our faith is what pleases God, and you can see how Saul was was removed as king because he was continually disobedient to the Lord. Now go to one Samuel fifteen, and we'll look at that because we need to see what the the consequences are of our actions. 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23. This is basically telling us, everyone, that we as believers in Jesus have a responsibility to still remain obedient to the Lord. We can't just do what we want to do. We can't just go on our own way of thinking. If God gives us information that's helpful for us to remain obedient to Him, follow that advice. Stay with it. Verse 22, 1 Samuel 15. But Samuel replied to Saul, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than the offering of fat, the fat of rams. Rebellion is better. Is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Samuel is telling it like it is, everybody. So, because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. There is a cost for our disobedience to the Lord, and it can be heavy. For those who continually reject the word of God. We need more leaders in our city, state, and country that take the word of God to heart and lead in faithfulness. If we are under leadership that is not following God, then here is where we need to be on a regular basis. Now go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 4. Let's just use a hypothetical and say that uh, the mayor of our city is not following the Lord. I'm not picking on the mayor. I don't know him. I, I, have no, I, I didn't elect him. I, I didn't do anything with that. But I'm just using a hypothetical. What if this guy is not doing what he's supposed to be doing? What if he's not following the Lord? Here's what we do. Verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then I urge petitions, urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings to be made for everyone. We should be praying for everyone anyway. Amen? Amen? Start there. For kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved And to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what? That, the the Lord wants that mayor, that person, to come to know the Lord too. That's what He wants. He wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Not everybody will. But in the meantime, what should we be doing? We should be praying. Praying for peace during a harsh situation. Praying, frankly, for mercy. Praying to keep that person out in front. Praying for a tranquil and quiet life. You know, even personalize it more. Some of you are still working. Have you ever had a bad boss? Amen? A bad boss. Just bad. Didn't know how to act. Weighing over their heads. And would be blustery about it just to show that they really didn't know what they were doing, but they were going to keep talking anyway. Well, you should have been praying for your boss. Not cussing behind his back. You should have been praying for him. Amen? Alright, now y'all know what I'm talking about. But sometimes you just have to consider, what would Jesus do? Pray. Pray for our leadership. It starts in the home and it applies, to in leadership, it applies to anyone in leadership wherever you work, wherever you live. God has a way of providing us grace and mercy even in the midst of poor leadership. No names, please. Don't need to mention any names. Amen? Don't need any names. You know who they are. And scripture doesn't address every single life scenario, but it does cover the essentials, the basics. A wise person heeds its godly words of wisdom and maintains a lifestyle pleasing to God. That's what we're to do. We need to maintain lifestyles pleasing to God. That's what we are always to do. <clears throat> and now, without a doubt, God responds by extending favor and blessings to those who live a life that's pleasing to God. And he did this for Jehoshaphat too. Go back to Second Chronicles chapter 17. I want you to look at verses 5 and 6. Second Chronicles 17 verses 5 and 6. God extends favor and blessings to those who live a life pleasing to God. So look what it says in verse 5, 2 Chronicles 17. The Lord, who? The Lord established the kingdom under his control. And all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. Jehoshaphat was doing the right thing, getting the idols out of the way, moving the stuff, giving the people there under them, they could not go to these places because he tore them down. And God honored him because of that. His actions honored the Lord, and the Lord in turn honored Jehoshaphat. How do we recognize when God honors you and me? We recognize it in the blessings that we receive. And that's what we need to understand. Now, I'm going to make a quick note about this. Riches and honor, first and foremost, are not promised for any of us. They're not promised for any of us. So let's be clear about that. Some believers, I'm going to say present company excluded. Some believers have a tendency to believe that God will rain down money if the gospel of Jesus Christ is tied to some sort of prosperity. That's not how it works. It is misplaced faith. It is unbiblical. And a lot of people have fallen for this false teaching. Now, I'm not going to mention any names. But when we hear prosperity gospel, we usually tie those to certain persons. And I'm going to just say a lot of black brothers and sisters fall into that trap too. And you know why they fall into that trap? Because of greed. It's greedy. It's so dangerous in that people believe that their actions are going to obligate God to extend them favor. It eliminates the recognition of the sovereign nature and character of God. The prosperity gospel actually derives its roots from the new thought movement that originated in the United States in the late 19th century. I don't know if you knew that or not. I learned this. But this is nothing really new. It's been around. It was not explicitly a Christian movement, but it was influenced by Christian ideals, Eastern philosophies, metaphysical traditions, and let's throw in a little bit of psychology and self-help, too. The movement focuses on the power of positive thinking. No names. The belief that positive thoughts manifest positive outcomes. If I hear the word manifest one more time coming from black folks talking about what they believe in, woo wee! And negative thoughts would promote negative circumstances. Another belief in this movement is that the mind has the power to heal the body and attract prosperity. Give me more! Give me more! David W. Jones, a Christian ethicist, that's a person who specializes in the study of ethics, he said this, quote, In light of Scripture, the prosperity gospel is fundamentally flawed. At bottom, it is a false gospel because of its faulty view of the relationship between God and man. Simply put, if the prosperity gospel is true, grace is obsolete, God is irrelevant, and man is the measure of all things. you realize that it really is morphing into you're the most important thing going on, not what God is doing. Whether they're talking about the Abrahamic covenant, the atonement, giving, faith, or prayer, Prosperity teachers turn the relationship between God and man into a quid pro quo transaction. So what's the conclusion for all of this? It's simple. God is absent in the prosperity movement. God's not there. All these people that are jumping around in church and talking about I got this, I got that. God's not there. I mention all of this so that you understand, Jehoshaphat didn't ask to be blessed. He did what was right. And God blessed him. He did nothing for the purpose of receiving God's wealth and honor. God gave it to him anyway because it was a way for others to witness the goodness of God. He's the leader. If others underneath him see him being blessed because he's doing what's right, guess what they're going to do to the people underneath him? The same thing. It's a lesson. It's a teaching. It's a way for us to see how God truly does bless because you are being obedient. Not because of quid pro quo. But Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat went even further because of the love of God and his word. Not only did he be, was he obedient, he spread the good news of God to the people of Judah because he made it a priority. Now drop down in 2 Chronicles 17 to verses 7 through 9. This is really important for us to see. Because we need to understand that when we are told to go into all the world and preach the gospel, well, we're spreading the love of God, but guess what? We've got to be talking some scripture to some folks every now and then. Just coming out with it. Saying something about it. Verse seven, Second Chronicles 17. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and Micaiah to teach in the towns of Judah. To teach in the towns of Judah. With them were certain Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Azahel, Shemiramoth, Jehanathan, Adonijah, Tabijah and Tob Ajaniah, and the priests Elishama and Jehoram. They taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. They went around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. Jehoshaphat proclaimed the truth of God to the people through his Levite priests and his officials for one purpose to educate the people educate them in the ways of the Lord go to Deuteronomy 6 Deuteronomy chapter 6 educate In the ways of the Lord. I mean that's what we're doing here. Amen. Amen. Any good church should be doing the same thing. Every Sunday morning. You know what really used to bug me. I had a pet peeve about. When I was much younger. When I would go to church. Pastor would get up in front of the podium. And make all kinds of machinations. And say things. Pull out maybe one passage. And start preaching. Well you know. That's not going to cut it, everybody. Because now we're not talking about really learning Scripture. We're talking about more of an entertainment type situation. Now that's just my opinion. You know, I, I don't ask everybody what my opinion is about everything or what their opinion is. But at the end of the day, what kind of a teaching is really taking place when you learn one passage? All right. So I've said my piece. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 8. Listen, O Israel... The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Now Jesus repeated these same words to tell us one of the greatest commandments in the law. And John shared with us the earlier the importance of loving others. So as Jesus tells us, all of God's word, the law and the words of the prophets of God are summarized. With these commandments that you find in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. That goes a, a long way from just looking at one verse. It has to stay with you. The Word of God stays with you day and night, whether you're here, whether you're out there, whether you're at home, whether it's morning, whether it's noon, nighttime. It's a regular practice. For a person of faith. And that's where we need to be. For a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no greater honor than to be a man or woman of faith. There's no greater honor than to be a man or woman of faith. What's bigger than that? Is pleasing to God, and he enables us to go and proclaim his truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. In turn, as we are obedient to his word, he affirms us with innumerable blessings. Can you count the number of blessings you've ever received from God? That's why I say it's innumerable. There's no number you can put on that. And they don't have to be anything magnanimous either. Sometimes the blessing is receiving peace from him in a moment of difficulty. Amen? That's what we need to understand about. These blessings do not always equate to money. Like some people would have you believe. Sometimes just peace. Our prayer life becomes more in tune with the will of God. And our life will reflect that as well. Look at what happens to Jehoshaphat now and the people of Judah because of the king's Faithfulness. Go back to Second Chronicles. Go to verse 10. Second Chronicles 17, verse 10. We're going to look at verses 10 to 13. I want you to see now what God is doing. This is, this is something that Jehoshaphat did not do anything other than what he was supposed to do. Be obedient to the Lord. And what is now happening for Judah? Verse 10, Second Chronicles 17. I know I asked you to put your finger in there. It's kind of hard to do when you're going all over the place, so I'll wait till you get back there. 2 Chronicles 17, verse 10. The fear of the... Now look at this, everybody. The fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah so that they did not go to war against Jehoshaphat. Some Philistines Look at the look at the characters involved. Some Philistines brought Jehoshaphat gifts and silver as tribute, and the Arabs brought him flocks—seven thousand seven hundred rams and seven thousand seven hundred goats. Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful. He built forts and stores and store cities in Judah, and he had large supplies in the towns of Judah. He kept, also kept experienced fighting men in Jerusalem. Notice that the people on the outside were moved by God Himself to respect Jehoshaphat and the land of Judah with peace and honor through gifts. God was honoring the faith of Jehoshaphat through the actions of the outsiders. Jehoshaphat didn't ask for gifts. He didn't say, hey, bring it on. Never came out of his mouth. Didn't ask for them. They were given to him because he was faithful to God. Plain and simple. God made Judah into a formidable territory and no one dared to mess with Jehoshaphat and over one million fighting men. Because that's what he built up. They weren't going to mess with him. And sometimes, you've heard this before, peace through strength. Jehoshaphat was not a superhero. Far from it. He was just an ordinary man. Just an ordinary man. A human being like you and me. And God is letting us know through his account in Second Chronicles that Jehoshaphat was faithful to God, trusted in his word, and held it in high esteem by sharing its truth throughout his kingdom. You don't read about a whole lot of other kings or anybody else doing what he did. But this is what he did. Let this be a lesson for all of us. I would hope you would think that I'm going to take all this time to talk about it, that it would be a lesson for you. It's a lesson for us. Ordinary people like you and me can and will find favor with God when we simply believe in Jesus, trust in his word, and remain faithful. 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 It is in his character to honor those who honor him. I want you to go to John chapter 12, let's look at verse 26, one last passage. John 12, verse 26. All he wants is to, for us to remain consistently faithful. I have to say consistently faithful because sometimes what happens with our faith? Ups and downs and all that. But he wants consistency in our faith. He wants us to remain steadfast in our faith. He wants us to hold on to that faith. John chapter 12, verse 26. This is from the English Standard Version. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Go forth as servants of Jesus Christ. As servants of Jesus Christ. And share the good news with others. Fulfill the very thing that God would have you to do. He doesn't want you just sitting at home all the time. He wants you to get out into the world and talk about the goodness of Jesus Christ. Always walk in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus and see what happens. Father, thank you for this truth that you've extended to us. Lord, we are indeed grateful that you tell us in your word exactly what you have done and you're showing us what we need to do when it comes to remaining faithful to you. And Lord, you're asking us to do something that is easy if we just remain obedient to your word. It's when we are not obedient when we're going to have trouble. But we thank you, Lord, for the reminders that as soon as we mess up and repent and turn back to you, you welcome us back with open arms. And we thank you for that too. Lord, help us to remain faithful to you in all that we do and all that we are going to do in the future. Lord, teach us to be patient through this process. Teach us to live in patience within your presence. Help us, Lord, to deal with those individuals in our lives that may be difficult to work with, For you have told us and shown us the example about what we need to do in those situations. We pray, Lord, that you will provide prevailing peace in those moments. And we thank you, Lord, that you indeed know our hearts and know where we are at this very moment right now. Lord, we pray that your truth always will prevail because we know that we already have the victory in Jesus and we thank you. Lord, if there's anyone in our midst right now that does not have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that does not know who he is in a personal relationship, speak to the heart of that person right now. Lord, we thank you for the people in our church who are ready to speak to anyone who does not know you and share the good news. Because that's what we're all about. In the same way we are obedient to your will, we also want to make sure that every person who does not have that relationship with Jesus comes to that relationship. And Lord, may they not wait May they not wait. May they not walk out of here today waiting. Lord, we know that you're coming again soon. And we thank you for that promise as well too. May we live in such a manner where we're ready for your coming. Thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.